0: Hello, folks, and welcome to Buzz Biology. Um, I'm here with my good friend Andrew. Hello. Um, and we're here to talk about. I'm really excited because this is a topic. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, it's it's a subject that's very like near and dear to both of our hearts, but especially Andrew.
1: I'm very passionate about mixed culture fermentation. Yes, here. <laughs> yes.
0: So that's what we're going to talk about today. And this episode's a little bit different than a lot of our other episodes because I'm not the expert, or I'm not the one that's done the research <laughs> and has the knowledge, which is going to be super fun.
1: Yeah, um, I'm excited.
0: Yeah, me too. So uh, before we kind of get into the matter at hand, why did you pick this topic?
1: Why did I pick mixed culture or brewing in general?
0: Well, why did you want to talk about mixed culture fermentation today specifically?
1: I am a brewer by profession, Mm -hmm. and I am also very passionate about beer and brewing. I'm really passionate about the history of beer. I'm really passionate about how humans as a species evolved with and in conjunction with alcohol consumption Mm -hmm. and
0: I it actually plays such a huge part in like civilization oh absolutely yeah like agriculture came about and people were like yeah bread and I'm like yeah no beer
1: beer beer yeah (laughs) Uh, arguably or theoretically humans made the transition from a nomadic society to or from a nomadic hunter-gatherer type society to an agriculturally based society for the cultivation of barley for the production and consumption of beer, because mm-hmm. it was a way to preserve a crop.
0: It, it it it's and it's a fun way. You have you have fun yeah. imbibing it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's preserved. Right.
1: Um, <laughs> I think I got interested in mixed culture fermentation um, only within the last I don't know ten years or so. When that sounds about right. Uh, I guess I'll put air quotes around the word the term sour beer because I, I mean we can talk about it later. I don't really <laughs> like I don't really like that term, but. Um, I got really interested in sour beer when I started, um, I guess when I turned 21 years of age and discovered uh, when I, I, when I turned 21, I could finally go to the craft centric bars and establishments in town. And a couple of my friends were bartending and and were really good at having me try all these different beers because they knew I was a home brewer. They knew I was interested in beer and...
0: You were enthusiastic um, about trying stuff, so you quite. got stuff that was sh- maybe strange, quote unquote, yeah. to most people, like, given to you because they knew, you're like, Andrew's adventurous,
1: you'll yeah. drink it. It's like, hey Andrew, we just got this beer on tap, hey Andrew, mm-hmm. we just got that beer on tap, and I think the first wild ale or mixed culture beer that I ever tried was Duchess de Bregogna, and it, yeah. it <laughs> kind of, I don't want to say blew my mind, but... It was the first time I had had anything besides a clean Saccharomyces or just standard brewer's yeast fermentation. And the acidity and wine notes and strawberry and acetic acid and balsamic characteristic, just it was unlike anything Mm -hmm. I'd ever had before. And I went home, went on Amazon and bought three different books on mixed culture. One was called One is called Wild Brews by Jeff Sparrow. One is called Farmhouse Ales by Phil Markowski. And one is Brew Like a Monk mm-hmm. uh, by Stan Hieronymus. But the two that really intrigued me most were Farmhouse Ales and Wild Brews because it was sort of like entering this entirely new world of beer that I didn't even know existed prior to that. And to to back up and to preface that, I had been consuming or tasting beer since I was very young. My father was a home brewer before I was even born.
0: Oh, I didn't know that your dad home brewed. That's yeah. cool. Oh, uh, that makes a lot of sense.
1: That was sort of what piqued my interest because mm-hmm. when I was, I don't know, four five, six in my early formative years that I can, mm-hmm. as early as I can remember, my dad was in a homebrew club with a bunch of the neighborhood dads and wow. I would always be there to watch him brew and watch his process and taste the wort, and smell the hops, That's and cool. eat the barley, and... What a
0: unique experience, because not a lot of people of our generation got unique. exposed to craft beer that young.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and it was craft. Like, right. we never had macro lager in my fridge. It was right. Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, same with Smith's, not brown ale. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. Pete's Wicked Ale, rest in peace, oh, Pete's Wicked Ale. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my father's homebrew. And I... My parents have a good relationship with alcohol, so my and they're very Mediterranean. Um, so at large meals with mm-hmm. family, my brother and I had a, either little glasses of wine with dinner or little glasses of beer with dinner. And right. I was always more intrigued by beer. And I think just being able to taste my dad's beers throughout my entire life, I got sort of intrigued. And by the time I was a teenager, I started becoming interested in alcoholic beverages as many (laughs) as many teenagers do do. Mm -hmm. Um, and I couldn't buy my own beer right but I could make my own beer right so I asked my dad hey dad you used to homebrew quite a bit he hadn't done it a long time because my brother and I were in sports and he had work and Mm. commitments and whatever didn't have much time for it but I asked him like dad what can can you teach me how to homebrew books my father handed to me were two books by Dave Line. one was brewing beers like those you buy Mm. and one was the big book of brewing and I read through them both from start to finish. I got to the point where I was ready to put in my first batch. So my father and I went to the homebrew store in our hometown. We mm-hmm. picked up a bunch of ingredients, and I put up a batch of Samuel Smith's Nut Brown Ale clone. Oh, that's a, great. Uh, It was my first, the first beer I ever brewed. And it turned out, it fermented. Uh, I mean, I thought it was great because it was a beer that I brewed, but I mean, in hindsight, probably wasn't fantastic, but it was, it was a pretty incredible experience. And I got to the point where I was confident enough to go to the homebrew store by myself. And I was sort of a smartass at 17 and 18. (laughs) I'd go into the homebrew store and the the clerk at the homebrew store kind of got to know me because I was the young kid homebrewing. And at first, she would say, wait a minute, you're not 21, you're not allowed to brew beer. And my smart-ass remark was, I'm not brewing beer, I'm brewing wort. Yeah. And the yeast is turning it into beer. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. Um,
0: which makes it even more appropriate that you're into mixed fermentation.
1: Right. <laughs> I was always most intrigued by yeast. And one time I had a bottle of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, and which is still, to this day, bottle condition. There's still live right. and active yeast in the bottle. And I remember reading the bottle, saying "bottle condition," pouring it gently into a glass, and then the last little bit, swirled it, and saw the little cloudy bits, mm-hmm. and thought, okay, if there's live and active yeast in this bottle, then that yeast in this bottle is it would be capable of fermenting beer. Right. So I started diving a little bit of a de- little bit deeper into home brewing. And started asking my dad, like, Dad, could I ferment my own beer with this yeast? And at that point, I had gone beyond his level of knowledge. <laughs> I have, I had the teacher had become the teach. Yeah. And found out that I could. So I figured out how to propagate that yeast and fermented a batch of my own Sierra Nevada Pale Ale clone with yeast that I propagated out of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale bottles. And that was at like 19 years old.
0: That's really cool.
1: Um, And so that's sort of my background in, in how I got to being interested in beer. I've always been fascinated by it.
0: And interestingly enough, we met because of beer. Yes, Um. You, Yeah, you worked at the craft beer bar that uh, was unfortunately no longer operating here, right. but was a really great spot for craft beer, especially in the early 2010s, early two te- 2010s, when craft beer was really starting to explode.
1: It, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, because yeah, when it opened, I remember being like, you can't, I mean, you still really can't get the selection that used to be there.
1: It was the first and most prominent destination in Chico to find interesting craft beer. Yes. It, we brought in beer from all over the world. We brought in I think we at one point we had like 14 or 15 distributors that we were working with. Yeah. So we were bringing in we were on pretty high allocation lists as well. Right. So we were getting pretty hard to get like cool we we, we got bottles of Dre Fontaine in, we got Cantillon, mm-hmm. we got Yep. And this this was back in 2013, 2014, 2014. and when not a lot of people were buying those beers right. so we, that 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 got us onto high allocation list and we yeah we we brought in a lot of really cool beer and that is where yes. Stevie and I we met, met. yeah,
0: because I came in, I was there for the soft open, actually I was, with, I was talking to one of the owners earlier today, and he was like, yeah, the first day we were open for the soft open, you and you came up to me and you were like, hi, I'm Stevie, you're going to see me a lot, and then it was true, <laughs> to the point that I was an employee, yeah. I was our craft, I was our um, uh, events coordinator right. for a few years, so yeah, so that's actually how we met, and then we've obviously since moved on, we're both at breweries doing mm-hmm. very different things, mm-hmm. Now, yeah, because you work at a brewery now.
1: I do. Yeah. Uh, I work at a large, uh, quality focused craft brewery here in Chico, California, mm-hmm. uh, as a brewer. Yeah. Um, making clean beers at work <laughs> and then at home, making primarily mixed culture yeah. fermentation yeah. beers.
0: Yeah. So before we get too far into anything else about beer, I want to talk about what we are drinking very first. Absolutely. Um, it's- Quite nice isn't it nice yeah so yeah i brought this up with me again classically i'm drinking we're drinking institution because mm-hmm. it's me and it's convenient but i'm really i really adore this beer it's called the windows are watching um cool it's, name too it's a cool name they have a lot of names that are kind of like a mouthful but it's really it's still really fun i don't know i find i find it to be really fun mm-hmm. and i mean people abbreviate them like everyone just calls us windows institution had one that, that just came out that's uh Dreams that were nightmares yesterday, and everyone's just calling it dreams. Ooh, cool. Yeah, I didn't get to. I didn't bring any up with me. It's a uh, pure stout with coffee and cocoa. It was really nice and cool, dark. Um, but this one, uh, because it is a pale ale and not necessarily an India pale ale or an IPA, it's lower in alcohol, so it's only five point one percent.
1: Which is that's sort of for me the. Like, four and a half to five and a half is my ideal ABV range. Yes, Um, because you can
0: keep... Like, the thing is, I'm usually not drinking... I mean, occasionally I'm drinking to get drunk, but most of the time I'm drinking beer because I really fucking like beer. Right. And I want... I don't want to, like drink a beer and then be tanked because then I can't drink any more beer.
1: Right. And it's tasty and I, I want, want to more. drink beer all day and be sober through all of it. Yes. Or just like get that little buzz and ride that all the way Just through. ride it all the way. Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. That's where I'm at too. Like uh, Institution has this beer called Bell Tower. That's great. It's like a, it's a IPA super citra hopped, I think mosaic as well. And it's delicious, but it's 7.8%. And I'm just can't like, have many I'm those. not going to drink this because yeah. I can't have that many. But this guy, I can drink this guy all day. Yeah,
1: at 5%, 5% or 5.1% that is within the range of being sessionable. Mm-hmm. But it has all of the characteristics the, uh, that you want in a nice, clean West Coast IPA. It's, right. It's got just enough hot bitterness. Mm-hmm. It's dry it's crisp and really really excellent finish hop is, character yeah finish I love the super idea of clean. double dry hopping a pale ale most people are double dry hopped hazy eight and a half percent double right. IPA it's like yeah the hop character is great but I'm gonna have one of them yeah so
0: the, yeah this is super sessionable and the thing is the way they double dry hopped it and the hops in particular they picked you get a lot of good hop flavor but you don't get a lot of residual
1: right it's pretty clean it's snappy. very clean. Yeah, um,
0: which also makes it very
1: drinkable because you're yep. just
0: like, oh, I want another sip. I want another oh, sip.
1: Um, Citra mosaic, yep. Citra mosaic and amarillo. Yeah, that was the that was the. The amarillo comes through
0: too. Mm-hmm. That's a curveball for institution too, because they're usually like a Simcoe, Citra, mosaic. The play the classics, um, but. <laughs> Every once in a while, like, they'll, they'll pull something else out. They um they love doing Southern Hemisphere hops when mm-hmm. it's the season. Like, in the spring, they'll come out with, like, Galaxy and Nelson hopped. Um, Naturally. Yeah. They had a great one. This is a fun little, like, uh, they had one called The Ditch.
1: Okay.
0: That was, because the channel between Australia and New Zealand is nicknamed The Ditch. And huh. so it had Nelson and Galaxy. Naturally. And I was like, perfect. I'm yeah. like, and I, I told, uh, when uh, we'd serve it, I'd tell a lot of people, I'm like, yo, the reason why it's called this is because it's, not, like, it's southern hemisphere hops it's from australia new zealand Mm -hmm. it's a little joke haha but yeah this beer is like super clean and it's a good way to start
1: yeah for sure yeah
0: we're gonna get into some interesting stuff we're gonna get into some fun
1: funky mixed culture beer here in a bit yeah but yeah and before to 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 get get the palate wet
0: yeah yeah. To wet Ease the
1: whistle, if you will.
0: Yeah. And I was drinking pale ale pretty much all day today. So this is a nice transition. I had a couple pale ales yesterday. Yeah. 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 So you heard about pale ale. It's just really hard it to is, say no to it.
1: It is a goddamn classic. It is. It is a, uh, I mean, arguably arguably, this whole craft beer Boom started because of mm-hmm. that beer, or mm-hmm. in part because in of. In part that beer. of yeah, at least yeah. Like no one's gonna deny that that's uh, a pioneering beer within this whole thing.
0: Absolutely. So um, and then before we go too much further into the mm-hmm. topic at hand, I wanted to just take a second to explain what fermentation was to Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Um, so fermentation is the metabolic process where an organic substrate is changed into usually another one with some byproducts by enzymes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then do you wanna explain what enzymes are? Because you are pretty familiar with them from the brewing process. Yeah, and
1: we can, I'll explain more about enzymes when we get into talking about the brewing, brewing process, process because mm-hmm. it is so critical. Mm-hmm. Brewing can't happen without enzymes, period. No. Uh, enzymes are basically, to, to make it as simple as possible, enzymes are little proteins, little specialized proteins that make things happen. Yeah. So when we're talking about brewing, we are utilizing the enzymatic activity of certain ingredients, namely malted barley, to convert one compound into another. Yes. And yeast. Uses enzymes to convert one compound into, into. another, thus creating fermentation new, byproducts.
0: Exactly, right. which is what we want. And uh, it's great that you mentioned it because when we, when most people think about fermentation, that's the type of quote unquote fermentation they're thinking about. They're thinking about um, alcoholic fermentation. Yeah, ethanol fermentation, sure. where yeast takes glucose, one molecule of glucose, mm-hmm. and which is sugar. And turns it into two molecules of ethanol, which Mm -hmm. is an alcohol, and two molecules of carbon dioxide, which is the fizzy little bubbles you get in your beer. Um, There are many other types
1: of uh, fermentation. And many other sugars that yeast can consume as well. Exactly. Uh, Glucose is obviously the simplest one, but yeast is able to ferment glucose, sucrose, dextrose, uh, maltose, maltotriose, and a variety of longer-chain dextrins, depending on the type of yeast. Yes. Longer-chain Uh, carbohydrates if you will Yeah. Um, famously
0: one of those sugars they can't metabolize is lactose which is milk sugar which is how you get like milk stouts and things like that if
1: if you want a beer that has a bunch of mouthfeel and a bunch of sweetness that is still well attenuated or still fermented to an an extensive degree you can add lactose to it because it Remains unfermented and it remains left over at the end of the process. However, there are a number of yeasts that can ferment. Yeah, I'm sure lactose. there's a couple, a couple
0: of yeasts that go in. Uh, um,
1: so is going to ferment whatever anything the fuck they want. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> um, the other type type of uh, fermentation that we probably will get into a little bit because we are talking about mixed fer- t- fermentation and therefore sours is lactic acid fermentation,
1: which is incredibly critical in the. It's another. Lactic acid fermentation is something that humans have been utilizing for a long time as well. It's true. Historically, food could only be grown during growing seasons. Mm -hmm. And humans wanted to eat year-round, because if they didn't, you're going to die. Yeah. And that's why you look at ancient cultures throughout civilization and throughout history, there was always some sort of fermentation. You look Mm at uh, Germanic tribes, they were making sauerkraut. They were fermenting... Yeah. They were fermenting cabbage and making sauerkraut. That's a lactic acid fermentation. Lactic right. acid bacteria, namely lactobacillus, will consume sugars. And unlike yeast, it won't create alcohol and carbon dioxide. It will create lactic acid and mm-hmm. carbon dioxide and a variety of other organic acids. It
0: turns out acids, in general, are a great way to preserve stuff.
1: Yeah, because low it... pH, you, mm-hmm. you drop the pH enough and reduce enough oxygen, which, of course, I oxygen is a cofactor in fermentation, or many right. different fermentations. You reduce oxygen, you, you reduce pH, pathogens can't survive. Correct, that's why
0: pickling is so great, that's why fermented pickles, sauerkraut, stuff like that lasts right. forever, is because it is basically an inhabitable place for
1: uninhabitable environment for human pathogens
0: exactly so that's a great thing um also i just wanted to mention too before uh, lactic acid is also what makes your muscles hurt after after exercise Mm -hmm. because basically when you're putting your muscle fibers under strain you're depriving them of oxygen Mm -hmm. and so your body anaerobically or in the other terms without oxygen anti-oxygen have to make lactic acid
1: lactic acid fermentation literally happens in our muscles yeah it's It's fascinating. fascinating it's really cool Um, But yeah, there's just like a lot of
0: uh, interesting applications of fermentation.
1: It happens everywhere. Mm -hmm. It it, it is occurring all over. Um, And obviously... I'm most interested in alcoholic fermentation because because alcohol is great. Alcohol is great.
0: It's called uh, Buzz, Buzz Biology for a reason. That
1: is absolutely true.
0: And uh, also, I just want to explain what yeast is uh, sure. quickly. Yeah, that's a good
1: place to start. Yeah,
0: in case anybody doesn't know. So yeast are single-celled microorganisms that are considered part of the fungus kingdom. Sure are. So in my very second episode, which if people haven't listened to, I don't blame you because the audio is a little rough, I kind of explained how taxonomy works and how we kind of divide things. Um, Sometimes it's not the greatest division, and sometimes we get groups that have things that are grouped together that aren't closely related. Sure. And, but fungus is a pretty solid like kingdom that fungus are only fungus. Yeah. Um, and fungus are fascinating.
1: Enormously fascinating.
0: Enormously fascinating. So they have cell walls like plants, but mm-hmm. instead of the cell walls and plants, which give plants and uh, fungus like kind of their hearty... Their rigidity. Their rigidity. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Perfect word. Um, instead of using cellulose... Which is what plants use. They use chitin, which is a type of protein. Which mm-hmm. is why mushrooms, for example, are so high in protein. It's a great
1: source of protein great. if you're a vegetarian or a vegan. Vegan. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And they are heterotrophs, meaning they have to get nutrients from some other source. They cannot make their own nutrients. Right. Plants can through photosynthesis. Right. Fungi cannot do that. So what they do is they usually. Um, will exude digestive enzymes. Mm-hmm. Again, enzymes that will break down the cells and then they ingest those cells. Yeah. And fungi ranges from everywhere. Molds, mushrooms, um, they can form uh, symbiotic relationships with bacteria to form weird structures that mm-hmm. are mutually exclusive for both. Fungi are fascinating. They are fascinating. Fascinating. Um, uh, they're much,
1: re- of, much of human plant and animal life couldn't exist without the cool. help of fungi. Exactly,
0: yeah. Uh, a plant lot life, of plant especially. life, especially, and especially a lot of our crops and tree, like a lot of crops that we use, wouldn't exist without mycorrhizy mm-hmm. fungi that live basically in the roots of plants and help with a number of different things, mostly nutrient, nutrient exchange. Transfer, yeah. Yeah. So fungi are really cool. Yeah, and I would really love, I, I want to, like, I was, <laughs> this is the problem whenever I start doing research. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'm like, no, that's not today's topic. That's not right, what we're talking right. about. And you
1: can go down a rabbit hole It's really easily. Really
0: easy. It's been the worst with Becca because we'll just, like, bring up, uh, like, we've been pro- slowly going through the big cats, mm-hmm. and we keep bringing up, like, associated, like, things like, we compare everything to mountain lions cuz we live in southern california yeah, and, their and they're mountain everywhere.
1: lions are great. And, and they're, they're the great. only big cat that can purr.
0: They're actually not technically a big cat. They're a, really? they're a, the largest of the small cats. Huh. Because they can't roar. You have to have the oh, Yeah. Oh, that's what makes the distinction. Mm-hmm. If huh. they don't have the voice box uh and or the evolution for the voice box. Sure. Cuz snow leopards technically are big cats. Right. Yeah, but mountain lions are a puma. They're in a different genus. They have
1: they're, they're, they, they sound wild, They too. do sound
0: wild. Like, they yeah. squeak and purr. Yeah. yeah. Cats make so some weird-ass noises. This
1: is fairly off-topic for, sure. for... Mountain lights
0: come up all the time. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, it's like totally. a thing now. <laughs> um,
1: their inability to purr, or excuse me, their inability to roar, do you think that is at all associated with their ability to purr? Like, yes. Okay. So I, The way their vocal cords y- work.
0: Correct. Either Got your it. vocal cords are set up where you can purr, or their setup that you can roar. For example, um,
1: Got
0: it. I bring up this this guy that I follow on like all social media. Uh, he his wife owns a big cat rescue in Texas, mm-hmm. and he's very funny and posts videos. and It's great because it earns a lot of money to help like re- like they're not rehabbing them, they're not sending them back out. But these are cats that were like illegally kept as pets. Oh wow! And they can't be re released, so they basically are like holding patterns for the cats. Sure. it's great um but he posts a lot of videos and the tigers are really affectionate but they can't purr so they do this thing called chuffing where they go Pfft.
1: I've seen videos of that online. yeah
0: so it's it, they can't since they can't purr that's like kind of their their like substitute chuffing? yeah it's called chuffing, chuffing. Huh. Um, yeah, and then lions will like woo 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 woo, woo. is there like yeah, like some, like
1: weird affectionate sounds,
0: yeah, so the, and snow leopards chuff too, um, but yeah, it's interesting how there's just like there's some affection noises that they they had to come up with because they camper, sure it's it's really fascinating, huh. Um, anyways, cat yeah, tangent, cat tangent. Like cats. cats are great. Yeah,
1: where did tu- there's Tuesday. a cat running around? Is little, she- her name is Tuesday. She's a, oh, she's on her little bed, right at your Aww, feet. Oh,
0: she's so cute. She's cute. Yeah, Tuesday's here, supervising podcasting.
1: Yeah, making sure everything's going well.
0: Yeah, and then uh, all right, back to yeasts. Yeah, totally. so, uh, the most well known of our yeasts, and this is basically the only one I'll go into. I'll let you kind of cover the rest, and I'll do this very briefly. Okay. is Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Cerevisiae, cerevisiae. Yeah. Um, Saccharomyces, etymology wise, derives from the Greek meaning "sugar fungus." Mm-hmm. Saccharo means sugar. Yep. Uh, Myces means fungus or mushroom. Uh, the specific epithet, uh, cerevisiae, is from the Latin. Uh, from Latin, and it actually means of beer. Yeah. Which, if you know the Spanish word "cerveza,", cerveza. makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the yeast most commonly used in winemaking, baking, and brewing. And it believed that we originally isolated it from grape skins. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read something very interesting. Uh, I have a book for you to check out. It's called The Drunk Botanist. Oh, it's great. Okay, you've yeah. read it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I love that book. But she had a really interesting uh, side note that they are starting to believe now because of research that yeast might be the first organism that we domesticated. Interesting. And I, I use domesticate pretty loosely. Sure. Because it's not like we bred it to be more domesticated like we did with most of our plants and animals. But... But
1: it's certainly adapted to different different substrates to sure. ferment. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: and it's because fermentation is so heavily now. To, now we know is so heavily tied to human civilization. Mm-hmm. It's believed that it was at least isolated before we probably started doing a lot of cultivars of certain plants and animals. Or
1: maybe at least it was at least discovered and utilized through re-fermentation. Uh, yeast was not actually isolated until the late eighteen hundreds. Right. Which And that was actually not even Saccharomyces cerevisiae. So oh. if you look at the world of beer, mm-hmm. there are two primary yeasts that are used in fermentation. there's okay. ale yeast and lager yeast. A lot of right. people associate beer with either ale or lager. A lot of people will use those two terms synonymously, but they're uh, two very different categories of beer styles. Because it's two different categories of yeast. You have ser- air yeast, which is Saccharomyces cerevisiae, and lager yeast, which is Saccharomyces pastorianus. Oh,
0: I didn't realize that they were separate species. Yeah, two separate oh. species, and. I uh, like that a specific episode, too. Pastorianus, like, farm, yeah, like, pa- pastoral, farm-like, really evokes, like, what you think of when you think of a logger.
1: And it's named after Louis Pasteur.
0: Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Okay, because, Di- totally different, uh, yeah. origin.
1: Uh, yeah. Because he, I,
0: he must have isolated it, then.
1: He did not isolate it. Oh. Em- Emil Hansen at... Carlsberg Brewery was the first one to isolate and propagate a pure yeast strain, meaning the only species in this culture was Saccharomyces, uh, what he called it, Saccharomyces carlsbergensis.
0: Okay. Which has
1: (laughs) since, the name has since changed to Saccharomyces pastorianus. Cool. Lager yeast.
0: Oh, fascinating. Um, I didn't really, I just thought they were, um... I thought it was two different strains of the same species. I did nope. not realize it was two different species. That's two very interesting. Two different species.
1: Cool. So within ale yeast, you have an enormous, enormous variety. Right. Lager yeast doesn't have a huge variety. Okay. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of variety within that species. Ale yeast can range from the the range of Saccharomyces cerevisiae as far as the alcohol tolerance, the sugars that the, the yeast can consume its temperature range for fermentation okay. the organic acid ester right. and phenol or flavor production right. within ale yeast can range from incredibly clean to incredibly flavorful so you look at the beer we're drinking right it's now it's
0: california ale california yeah, ale classic
1: it's classic clean fermenting mm-hmm. does not produce a lot of fruit ester or spicy phenols right and I'll, I'll reference esters and phenols they're just two different compounds that yeast produces right in fermentation. yeah
0: it's a, they're organic camp compounds that impart different flavors sometimes sure. it can be a negative flavor that they impart maybe it's not what you wanted in that beer can be but sometimes they're actually what brewers are aiming for right in their beers like sometimes like for me like if you had like it so ester sometimes
1: comes across really banana-y in oh, yeah. my opinion um, a German Hefeweizen has an ester called isoamyl acetate and it tastes like bananas
0: and that is what they're
1: looking for right In a German Hefeweizen yeah. if it doesn't have IAA it's out of st- it's 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 off-style It's off-style
0: off but you don't necessarily want that ester to show up in your double dry hopped pale
1: ale Certainly not Yeah
0: that'd be a little weird So actually, I actually had a question um mm-hmm. we talked briefly about this when we were hanging out last time cuz we at the brewery, we tried this yeast strain. So there's this Norwegian yeast strain called Kveik. Yeah, is that a Saccharomyces cerevisiae or is that? Are you not sure? I which believe is
1: fine. it is. I okay. have not, admittedly, have not looked super into the Kveik yeast. I've, I mean, I've read a lot about its history, but I don't really know much about its um, like
0: taxonomy t- per se. Taxonomy. Okay. Um, I was just, I was curious I'm, if you knew. I'm
1: pretty sure it is a Saccharomyces cerevisiae okay. yeast, but do not quote me on that.
0: Okay, yeah, I was just curious, because you were saying that since Saccharomyces cerevisiae, based on what kind of style it is, has such a very, like, can vary so wildly. When you were saying temperature change, that's what it made me think of, because Quebec mm-hmm. is known for fermenting at really, really high temperatures. high temperatures. Very excitably.
1: Very excitably. <laughs> yeah. Um, most ale yeast ferments between 65 and 72 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. That's rough range. Quebec yeast is happy fermenting at 90, 95, sometimes 100 insane. degrees Fahrenheit, which is
0: if you dropped most, if you dropped like California ale yeast in there, the yeast would just basically die. It wouldn't ferment at all. Right? Oh, it would
1: absolutely ferment. Oh, uh, would it, it would ferment. Okay. But it would produce a slew of off flavors. Ah. So it would, the, the, to a certain extent, in, in broad terms, the lower temperature you ferment
0: mm-hmm. a
1: yeast at, the longer it's going to take and the less character it's going to produce. Ah. The higher fermentation ranges, the yeast will more often than not ferment quicker. Okay. And produce more flavor. So if you look at ale versus lager, lager yeast ferments, likes to ferment at 45, 50, sometimes 55 degrees Fahrenheit, and it's tend to be very clean tasting. Lager yeast does not produce a lot of esters and it does not produce a lot of phenols. Right. And if you, do produ- if you do ferment lager yeast at too warm of a temperature, it does start to produce these flavors that are undesirable or stylistically inaccurate for a right. lager beer. However, ale yeast, you want a little bit of that, that yeast characteristic in mm-hmm. And especially when you get into beers like Hefeweizen or uh, Belgian saison or French Beardegarde, those are all very yeast-driven beers. Those beers right. will ferment at 75, 80 degrees Fahrenheit and produce desirable okay. characteristics, but they will be way more characterful. Gotcha. Um, so
0: since we're talking since we're kind of talking about fermentation anyways, yes. do you want to do a quick rundown on how just in case for people that are listening that don't know how to, the brewing process works? Sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. So just like kind of the steps that you go through and what you're kind of expecting. Yes.
1: Yeah. You, yeah, yeah, you yeah, used absolutely.
0: to you used to do tours of the brewery you used I did. To at. And, I was a tour
1: guide there and, for a few years.
0: And now you get to actually do the process. So I, do,
1: I get to I get to actually make the beer now. I'm
0: going to yield to your expertise yeah, and sure. this knowledge.
1: Uh, so beer is a pretty simple beverage, mm-hmm. um, maybe not quite as simple as something like wine or something like mead, but it is pretty simple. Right. There are four main ingredients in beer. There are water, malted barley, hops, and yeast. Right. The, what,
0: the German is the Reinheitsgebot?
1: Reinheitsgebot. Yeah, there was uh, a German,
0: there, I think it still exists and they've modified it, it a little bit, but there was a law that was basically like, you cannot call this beer unless it, it only has those four, has ingredients. Those four ingredients. Yeah. It's right. fascinating.
1: Uh, so, obviously, beer is mostly water. The beer we're drinking right now is 5.1% alcohol, so that means it's roughly 94.9% water. water. It's hydrating. It's, it's hydrating. And <laughs> there was a recent study done by a large brewing university in Munich that showed that beer under 5% alcohol does not have a significant dehydrating effect.
0: Hey, nice. It won't hydrate,
1: but as long as you hydrate when you're drinking, you're.
0: That's cool. Nice. I yeah, cool. I didn't know. I also, um, one of my favorite studies, I need to actually find this study again because I mm. bring it up a lot. There was a study done by like a college that specifically works in like athlete, uh, like in training and stuff. Huh. And they did a study and they're like a beer at about like 5% ish, five and a half, like a pale ale perhaps, mm-hmm. after an intense workout like a marathon or per se a hockey game. Mm-hmm. Having one of those is actually better than having the same amount of water.
1: It's full of electrolytes, mm-hmm. it's full of protein, There mm-hmm. are, there's limited lipid compound content. Yeah, it's, it's...
0: And you're still getting water, it's when you start drinking, like, three or four after yeah, the game and it starts to that's, be not so great, but yeah. it's actually pretty good for you to, as an athlete to have a beer at the end of your race or your game. Works for me. Works for me. I know. <laughs> uh,
1: so, obviously, beer is mostly water. Water is very important. By volume, obviously, water is the largest ingredient, but the malted barley is arguably, well... I guess you could argue that yeast is the most important ingredient, but Mm -hmm. barley is what separates beer from any other alcoholic beverage. You look at alcohol all over the world, whether it's wine, or beer, or sake, or mead, they all have one thing in common, they started with sugars. Right. Yeast, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, or Saccharomyces pastorianus or whatever yeast you're using to ferment your beer, consumes sugar. And produces alcohol and carbon dioxide. Right. In wine that sugars from grapes. In cider, it's from apples. Uh-huh. In sake, it's from rice. In right. mead, it's from honey. But in beer, all of that sugar comes from malted barley. Right. But malted barley is a grain. It's full of carbohydrates, but not really full of sugar. And we can get into how those sugars are formed a little later on when we talk about enzymes. Right. Uh, but malted barley, can, you, you can't just... Well, I was
0: going to say, you can bring up enzymes now. Cause like sure. yeah. yeah. I was going to say that first, one of those main, main first steps in brewing has to do with like...
1: Enzymatic activity. Uh, yep. Yeah. Um, you can't use barley straight out of the field. Right. You have to go through a process of malting. Right. Which is a two-part process. You have to steep the grain and sprout it. So if you go to a health food store or a natural food store and you see bread that's made with sprouted grain, sprout of grain. It's, all you're doing is exactly that. You're steeping the grain and activating enzymes mm-hmm. in that raw seed. And enzymes start converting the starches in that grain into sugar, which is the food source for the plant.
0: Correct. If and that it,
1: seed is in the ground, yeah. that plant has to grow until it can photosynthesize. Mm-hmm. And it uses the, sh- the carbohydrate stores in the seed it's as like sort of a... a,
0: a reserve. It's, it's a, like a it's sugar a, reserve.
1: It is a sugar reserve. Yeah,
0: And having them sprout, too, is also important because you crack the... the there's like... Most seeds have like a pretty tough hour later. That mm-hmm. starts to crack that hour later, too. Right. So it makes it just easier for like... It's one of the steps that allows you to actually like get into where the... The nutrients yeah the water seed.
1: has to permeate the seed somehow mm-hmm. yeah so maltsters will steep the barley and as soon as it's as soon as it's started to grow the maltster will halt the germination process through a process called kilning which is basically drying right. the malt out and the kilning process is really important for creating different colors and different flavors mm-hmm. in here it's uh, much like coffee Lighter roast coffee is going to have a different flavor than dark roast coffee. Right. Stick a piece of bread in the oven. Mm -hmm. It's going to be lighter and more uh, toasty at a a lower temperature or lighter color, but the longer you cook it, the darker it gets and the roastier it gets. It gets. Mm -hmm. Barley's the same way. Right. You, the color of your beer is entirely determination determined by that kilning process. So mm-hmm. lighter colored barleys, pale malts, are for pilsners and lagers mm-hmm. and lighter pale ales. And the darker or the longer you kiln your malt at a higher temperature will yield different colors and flavors through a process called the Maillard reaction. So right. you kiln your malt a little bit longer, you can make an amber ale or mm-hmm. a red ale or a brown ale. And on or the dark end of the spectrum, you got a porter or, or a stout, right? Yeah. So that is the that is the kilning and malting mm-hmm. process, and, some of those,
0: and kilning, in some of those sugars getting the, some of, some of what the kilning does is turns some of those sugars into more caramelly again the Maillard's
1: reaction. So you, yeah, and that, that wouldn't necess that that you're gonna we we can <laughs> dive deeper into the uh, complexity <laughs> of malt kilning, but if you kiln under in, in dry conditions, it, mm-hmm. it creates. Um, a process called the Maillard reaction, which is the same thing that cre- creates the grill marks on a steak, the yes. same thing that um, chars bread, the same thing that happens when you're roasting coffee. Right, charring
0: sugar on like a creme brulee or something.
1: That's caramelization. Oh, which is I, a different process, oh I didn't realize they were it different. Oh. Um, so caramelization happens in the presence of moisture. Oh, I so see. Yes, yes, you, yes. When okay, you that makes kiln sense. under moist conditions, the sugars will caramelize. If you kill under dry conditions, Mm. the amino acids in whatever you're cooking will react with the sugars and cause the Maillard reaction. I
0: didn't, okay, I didn't realize they were that different. Two different different processes. Oh, that's cool. You can
1: have them happen in conjunction, of course. Right. Uh, But they, yes, they are two different Mm. processes. So you look at caramelized malts, or uh, namely caramelized malts. Okay. They're kilned in moist conditions to create the caramelization. Fascinating. Okay, cool. The little balls of sugar, basically. Yeah,
0: a little, like, crunchy. Yeah.
1: So. The first step in the brewing process is taking that malted barley and cracking it open to expose that uh, inner core. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The The
0: endosperm is what it's called. Mm -hmm.
1: The inner core, the endosperm of that grain, you crack it open by milling. So you grind all your grain... And you then mix it up with a big vat of hot water, right? Uh, about 150, 155 degrees t- Fahrenheit, eh, as low as 130, depending on uh, the type of beer you're okay. looking for, the type of enzymes you're trying to activate. Gotcha. Talk about that in a sec. And that process is called mashing. So steeping the cracked grain in hot water is going to activate enzymes inside of that grain. And grains are full of carbs not full of sugar we're trying to get sugar as brewers because we want to convert that sugar to alcohol yeast right. can't produ- yeast can't ferment those
0: you can't take uh, starch and make it into yeah because right. starch is actually a very long like chain of carbon and oxygen and hydrogen molecules and it's just like the yeast can't it's like just a
1: bunch of glu- it's a bunch of glucose molecules stacked exactly the
0: it's trying to like it's like sitting down and trying to shove an entire like french loaf in your face it's right. not going to work right it's you sure have to slice part. it and that's you what the enzymes are going to do and that's it's what enzymes do
1: yeah so in brewing there are two primary enzymes that we're looking for we're looking for alpha amylase and beta amylase mm-hmm. and they work at different temperatures Uh, Beta amylase is activated at a lower temperature. Alpha amylase is activated at a slightly higher temperature. Okay. So so 148, sort of a very happy middle ground. Beta amylase um, is active between high 130s to mid 140s. Alpha amylase is most happy between the low to mid, sometimes high, 150 degrees Fahrenheit. So you want to find an ideal middle ground depending on what you what your result is. Okay. Beta amylase activation will create typically a more dry a, a drier beer. Alpha amylase will oftentimes yield a beer with slightly more residual sugars okay. at the end of it. So gotcha. mashing, trying to activate these enzymes to convert the barley starches into sugars. Once that activation process has occurred, all of the starches have been converted or as much starch has been converted as possible, possible. Mm-hmm. you gotta strain off that used barley right when you're done making a pot of coffee you don't need your used your coffee grounds. beans you got everything out of it right so the next step in the process is called loudering, which is where you take uh, essentially a big screen or mm-hmm. a big sieve and oftentimes breweries will have uh, the mash and tun be one of the, the, the same vessel It'll be a giant mixing vessel with a false bottom floor on the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. The brewery I work at has a separate mash tun and louder ton. Oh, interesting. So we will pump the entire mash from the mash tun into the louder ton huh. and then begin running off. Okay. Which means capturing that used barley on top of the screen and letting that sweet, sugary liquid called wort Strain out from underneath, and no. also
0: I wanted to say what I highly it? recommend if you have the opportunity to try wort and you have not done it, please do because oh, it's, it's
1: delicious. It's
0: an it's an experience. It's so tasty. Sugar water. Yeah, I think the first time I did a tour at a major brewery and they were like, "Here's the wort," and I'm like, "This seems weird," and I tried it. And I'm like, "Oh my god, it tastes like grape nuts." It tastes like grape nuts. It's so
1: good. Yeah. So highly
0: recommend if you can find a way to go to a brewery tour and you haven't, and they they'll let you try the wort, please do it.
1: Cause yep, it's great. <laughs> it's worth doing. Now, wort is what we turn into beer later on in the process. Mm-hmm. So. You then sparge, which is taking water and rinsing all the sugar out of that grain that you possibly can because you want to get every bit of sugar out of it that right. you can. So take the speck grain, send it off to cattle farms to be used as feed. All of that wort is what we're going to turn into beer. Mm-hmm. You could ferment the wort as is. Mm. It wouldn't taste very good. Yeah. Yeah. You need some bitterness to counteract that sweetness or to balance out that sweetness. And in brewing, we use hops. Hops are the ingredient that, uh, especially American brewers, have become so well known for because they smell and taste wonderful. They do. And they provide the bitter balance that uh you really need in a beverage that's that would be entirely too sweet too otherwise. Sweet. Yeah. So at that point yeah,
0: go on. Oh, I was going to say the other great thing about hops. Um so hops are related to marijuana. They
1: sure are. That's why in it's the like cannabis family. family.
0: Mhm. That's why it's sticky and sometimes funky, but the cool thing about lupulin, which is the main oil that you get like the main, not oil, but
1: they're the glands that contain yes. the oils.
0: They're the glands yes. that contain the oils. So the oils in hops are uh pretty antimicrobial. Yeah. Which is why India Pale are called India pale ales because they would just t- dump a fuck ton of hops in their beer while they were shipping it to India to actually try and counteract any ma- microbial effects they might get and to help preserve the beer longer. So I tell people when they're sick, they're like, I shouldn't be drinking beer. And I'm like, no, 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 no. hops are antimicrobial. It's good for you.
1: It is true that hops are antimicrobial, but believe it or not, was that not the it? IPA story is a little far-fetched.
0: Really? Okay. If it
1: sounds too good to be true, it, it probably usually is. is. <laughs> Historically, India was an English colony. And India is really hot a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. so close to the equator. It was too hot to make beer in India. Okay. So there were a lot of English troops stationed in India. They wanted to drink beer. They wanted
0: a pint at the end of the day. They wanted a pint at the end of the
1: day. (laughs) So all the beer going to India had to be brewed in England. They were successfully shipping Porter, Strong Ale, a beer style called October Beer, which is sort of the precursor of the modern-day barley wine. All those beers were successfully successfully shipped uh-huh. To India without spoilage. Okay. But when it's 100 degrees, you don't want to drink a porter. You don't no, want to drink a true. Style. You want to drink a light, refreshing pale ale. Mm-hmm. So that beer style started to become popular in India. Interesting. And there happened to be a brewery across the river from uh, the East India Trading Company. The East India Trading Company developed a deal with this brewery. Uh, Hodgson's Brewery. Uh, George Hodgson was the head okay. brewer. and Uh, The East India Trading Company basically said, this beer style that you're making is really popular down there. Keep doing it. Make more of it. And other brewers in the area kind of got wind of that. Uh. And Indian goods were seen as really uh, of of high class and high quality and really aristocratic. In England, Mm -hmm. they were using a lot of uh, British, or excuse me, Indian spices and Indian textiles. Right. they got wind of this popular pale ale that was being brewed for the India market. Oh. So it wasn't until 100 it wasn't until about 100 years after they were shipping pale ale to India that they that the term India pale ale was even utilized. So interesting. The IPA, the name of the IPA came about because of marketing.
0: Oh, that's so funny. Really funny. That's so interesting. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited.
1: Yeah.
0: Ruining rumors. Yeah. Yeah. Debunking
1: oh. rumors one De- at a time. One
0: at a time. Right. So this is a good time to take a small break. We're both out of beer. We are. We need to open another one, which we we will do do on air because it's gonna be quirked and it's gonna sound great. Um, But we're gonna take a really short break, really quick, um, reset, and then when we come back, we'll start talking about like bittering hops and go into that. Perfect. Alright, we ready to open uh, yeah. this? Yeah, absolutely. So what are um, we what are we drinking?
1: What's what are we getting into? So this is a beer brewed by Russian River called Intinction. Mm-hmm. Um It is a beer that I had once about a month or a month and a half ago and loved it. Okay. So I decided I wanted more. I'm stoked. Uh, It's really interesting, kind of off the wall beer. Okay. Uh, It is a Pilsner, but it's, so Pilsner is in the lager yeast family. Right. Which tends to be very clean in taste. Mm -hmm. Very light, refreshing, dry, crisp, snappy. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a Pilsner that they aged in Sauvignon Blanc barrels. With Sauvignon Blanc grapes and a re-fermentation with a uh, yeast called Britannomyces. Right, it's, which we'll
0: get into, yeah. Which we
1: will get into it. Um,
0: oh man, I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Ooh, nice. We got foley work on this? No, we actually have sound effects. Like I'm excited because a lot of Russian River beer, Russian River does great work. They're really famously known for uh, these kind of, uh, Wine barrel aged beers, as well as they're known for Plenty the Elder, the
1: Elder of course,
0: uh, Plenty the Younger, and Blind Pig. Dude, um, uh, Lady Face had all three on tap. Nice. Uh, when they all came out, and so I actually got to drink all three side by side. It was like a really nice. fun experience. But they usually age a lot of these beers in red wine barrels, and I'm pretty heavily allergic to red wine. Um, and so it's just like I'm always like, okay, cool, I'll have a sip, and then if I have any more, I will have a migraine. All
1: right. Yeah. So this is. Aged in Sauve Blanc barrels.
0: Right. It's white wine. Yeah, Cheers. Course. Yeah, it's white wine barrels, so I can actually have it. Oh, my God. It's, it's gorgeous. That's really, really nice. That's just, like, super... I just really smell the Sauve Blanc grapes mm-hmm. in it in particular. That's what I get from the nose.
1: You get that sort of passion fruit, guava, mm-hmm. bright tropical fruit. Uh, yeah. There's a little bit of that, like, sort of, like, fuel fuely diesel character. Yeah.
0: So it was really funny on the last episode that I recorded... Um. I uh, said, like I was talking about how hoppy something was. I'm like, it has a little bit of a cat piss odor to it. Am oh, I, absolutely. And my my viewers recording with Jake and Richard were like, that sounds bad. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's actually a good tasting note in hops. <laughs> That's what you go want. That's what you're going for.
1: Yeah, tasty.
0: Okay. So we're talking about adding hops to your wort.
1: Yes, we are. So wort's boiling, and you add hops for bitterness, and okay. and for some microbial stability, of course. Um, hops prevent a lot of bacteria from growing, mm-hmm. um, the alpha acids in hops are help create microbial stability. Mm-hmm. Um, in today's age, we use hops for flavor and aroma right. and bitterness primarily. Yeah. So if you boil for about an hour and a half, you can add hops, sometimes one, sometimes three or four different times. Mm-hmm. The earlier into the boil you add hops, the more bitterness you're extracting from mm-hmm. it. But because you're boiling the whole time, you're flashing off a lot of the flavor and aroma compounds. Right.
0: Ho- the, vo- like the oils from hops are very volatile. Correct. Which is also why I'm kind of, I harp on people about drinking stuff fresh. Because if you don't oh, drink absolutely. IPAs, if you don't drink your IPAs, pay, like heavily hop beers, if you don't drink them fresh, you are not getting the full flavor of the hops, and you actually might start getting off flavors. That's yeah, absolutely. Point.
1: So. Oxidized hops taste like cardboard it tastes stale or not a not a desirable flavor at all yeah
0: so yeah the more you boil the more kind of like flashing off you get because you're heating it you're causing these oils to be excited and like Mm -hmm. the molecules jump out
1: but today a lot of brewers are really looking for increased hop flavor and Mm -hmm. hop aroma and the best way to do that is to add hops later into the process right so sort of a rule of thumb the later in the process you add hops the more flavor and less bitterness you get Gotcha. So at the very end of the boil, you have what are these called? Third, third hops or third hop additions or late hop additions or flame out additions mm-hmm. or finishing hop additions. There are a lot of different words for it, but it basically means hops are added near or at the end or after the end of the work boil. Gotcha. At that point... You strain off the hops, or through this process called whirlpooling, it allows all the uh, protein sediment. If you're using pelletized hops, it allows the right. hop pellets to fall out of solution. And at that point, you pump your wort through a heat exchanger to bring the temperature of the wort down to uh, fermentable temperature. Right. You add yeast. And you let the yeast do its. You know what's
0: really weird? One of my favorite things I love looking at at breweries is how they do heat exchange.
1: Big giant radiators. Yeah, it looks like car radiators. It's
0: cool, and I very remember specifically coming over to homebrew with you. Mm-hmm. And you have this cool little like three like pot setup that like. But I remember the cool the cooling agent you had was a coiled wire, like a coiled tube that you could blast a bunch of cold water
1: through. Right? Wasn't that the cooling agent? Um, um, I'm misremembering that. I I I do have a coil heat exchange. Okay. But I also have a plate heat exchanger now. Oh, it works, nice. Okay. It works way better. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, heat exchange is really cool. Like if you ever have a, if you ever really warm and you have someone drip ice onto your back or like mm-hmm. if you're really warm and you have someone put a cold hand on your back and you get really cold, that's just a simple example of heat exchange. Yeah. Car engines rely on heat exchange. If you ever have a car engine that starts overheating, add more coolant. Add more coolant, Because yeah. it needs that heat, a ex- uh, 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 wort chiller works pretty similar to a car radiator. Okay. There's There are two inlets and two outlets. Mm-hmm. Wort in, wort out. And cold water in, hot water out. So the hot wort is going to enter on one side, and the cold water is going to enter on the other side, and there's mm-hmm. going to be a reverse flow of wort and water. The heat exchange is going to occur uh, over these very thin plates cool. and the wort is going to come out the other end roughly the same temperature as the water you pumped in The water is going to come out the other end roughly the same temperature as the wort you pumped in nice So the wort's going to come out at about I don't know ideally 60 62
0: as we discussed
1: with fermentation right t- temperatures earlier. For, for ale Right uh, and that water's going to come out and that's what we we'll use to mash in the next batch
0: Which I think is them. I love that I'm like water concert like anytime you can conserve cons- conserve resources in this process, it's great. Like,
1: yeah. and a lot of breweries do that. They're, they they yes. pump they pump their uh, cold liquor in cold or cold brewing water in, mm-hmm. and that hot liquor, the hot brewing water, just goes into the hot liquor tank for preservation, so, cool. so you can use it later on in the process. So smart. And then you've got beer. Nice. Two to three weeks later. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: that's so cool. I love it.
1: Historically, before yeast was even discovered, people were drinking beer. Mm-hmm. They would boil. They would add hops, and then they would pump the wort. Into these big shallow pans called cool ships. They wanted the wort to cool down as quickly as possible. So these these cool ships are big, wide, shallow pans.
0: Large surface area. Large ratio. surface area. So you, can, you generate a lot. You get you get a lot of heat evaporating off because you have a lot of surface area for that yeah. heat
1: to it escape. It is a, a sort of a rough heat exchange. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the the wort's cooling down to the temperature of the air, and the air is heating up a little bit, roughly, mm-hmm. but not much. And wild yeast and bacteria are going to land. In yeah. That in Just that word by chance by chance mm-hmm. i mean there's yeast and bacteria oh yeah everywhere oh yeah you uh leave a bottle of wine out or a couple, you don't finish a bottle of wine it starts tasting vinegary that's because there are bacteria that are converting the ethanol into vinegar vinegar acetobacter right. bacteria right um oh
0: i forgot about acetobacter yeah it's I love a seed factor.
1: I don't. Well, I know you don't, but- <laughs> Well, brewers don't. Brewers don't. Brewers don't. In the
0: process of brewing,
1: you don't, but uh, yeah. I do love fish and chips with malt vinegar. Yeah!
0: Mm-hmm. Which is
1: really just, that's vinegar beer.
0: Yep. A beer that's
1: been turned into vinegar. Vinegar. Um, anyways, that's a process called spontaneous fermentation. You allow the yeast and wild microbes to just land in that cool ship and it begins fermenting spontaneously. Hmm. Um, and those are some of my favorite beer styles.
0: Yeah, sometimes it can be not good, right? Because sure. sometimes you can get stuff that either makes it taste bad
1: or can make you sick. Um, or no. certainly tastes bad. Okay, as long as you have a drop in pH okay. and you have alcohol production. Oh, that's fair. It won't make you sick, right?
0: Because you have alcohol and acid, so you don't you don't get anything. Right. or as
1: long as it. you get a, a quick drop in pH. Yeah. Yeah. And a quick you, fairly, like, it's, fairly quick Out. Because the thing
0: production. is you can kill off bacteria. Like that's the thing about botulism that's so terrifying. It's a mm-hmm. bacteria but if it makes its toxins before it dies oh, yeah. and it gets in your like canned good or whatever it mm-hmm. can still kill you later. Even the bacteria is totally dead in it. Yeah. Same with food poisoning. If you don't cool it down fast enough and bacteria have time to make their fucking toxins. Even if you put it in the fridge. Even if you put it in the fridge it can still make you sick. Yep. Yeah. Okay.
1: Botulism's terrifying. One Dude. microgram of botulinum yeah. is enough to Cause human sickness, but what's great? Botulinum is denatured at one hundred and sixty-five degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. So if you if you yeah it's... yeah,
0: it's like, as a canner, I live in total fear of botulism, but Absolutely. I'm also, yeah, like, because that's one of my good hobbies is because, like, especially when I was living up here and I just had way too much produce to mm-hmm. do anything with, canning's great, but it's just like, you better do your safe as, your stuff as safe as possible yep. or you're going to get sick. Very, very sick. Because botulism, they're,
1: like... Nothing to fuck with.
0: No, because once you get to a certain point with botulism infection, there's no coming back.
1: There's no coming back yeah. from it.
0: But, spontaneous fermentation mm-hmm. creates very different flavors from what we very. traditionally think of as, like... A beer,
1: right? So that was the, fir- the first time I had the Duchess de Bourgogne, uh It's not spontaneously fermented, mm-hmm. but it is fermented with a culture of wild yeast and bacteria, or what was once wild yeast and yeah. bacteria. Um, so these mixed culture beers do not contain exclusively Saccharomyces. Right. You take, you drink a pale ale or a lager or an IPA or anything. They contain exclusively Saccharomyces. That's the only microbe allowed alive in that beverage. Gotcha. However, mixed culture beers. Um, sour beers, if you will, um, have a slew of different yeast and bacteria. Saccharomyces cerevisiae or saccharomyces yeast will exist in there, but there's also lactic acid bacteria like lactobacillus Mm -hmm. and pediococcus. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also a variety of different wild yeasts and oftentimes Britannomyces. Britannomyces means, uh, roughly translates into British sugar fungus. It was first oh, okay. discovered in British stock ales. Um,
0: oh, interesting. Yeah. That's not where I would have expected them to, like, yeah. figure that one out. Mm-hmm. I figured it would have been, like, wait, Lambic. It, yeah, yeah, I figured a Lambic or something. Right. Interesting. Uh, huh. Yeah,
1: uh, Bertanomyces uh, was first discovered in British stock ales. Hmm. And I love Britannomyces. Mm-hmm. Uh There was a joke amongst my. My coworkers, that I'm going to name my first son Brett and my first daughter Brittany because I <laughs> love Britannomyces. Um, I think it's extraordinarily fascinating. Uh, Britannomyces has the ability to ferment sugars that most brewer's yeast cannot. It can ferment mm. incredibly complex carbohydrates. It really? Can incredibly. It can, it can ferment dextrins it can ferment oh yeah you like, mentioned that earlier it can, yeah it, it could wow probably ferment potato starch there are stories of britannomyces living in oak barrels and oak barrels springing a leak because the brett fermented the beer to dryness fermented <laughs> all the sugar in the beer and started eating the wood sugars and springing holes in oak barrels <gasps> Whoa. because it just it, it eats everything it is an eating machine it's and like it's a, it's a machine wow and it's a uh, yeast that Winemakers do not want in mm. their wine. Mm-hmm. Because it produces a lot of, I mean, it's a yeast that brewers do not want in their clean beers because right. it produces a lot of flavors that are deemed undesirable for Most many different styles. styles. Yes. Um, it has the ability to produce flavors that are sort of barnyard or farmy or like can be reminiscent of like a blue cheese. It gets really funky yeah. and yeah. really can kind of taste like musty. a stable, can kind yeah. of taste musty, can kind of taste like uh, we mean a the best. We mean this in the is, best possible way, right. but
0: yes, like the, horse blanket. Horse
1: blanket is a term that's used for heavily breaded <coughs> beers.
0: Oh, I've never heard that term. Yeah. I've heard like uh, goat yard is a term yeah. I've heard a lot with bread, yeah. but horse blanket is really That's evocative. Yeah. I like that quite it's, a bit. And it's
1: pretty accurate.
0: Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. If you
1: ever smell a like very heavily breaded beer, it smells like a stable. hmm However, Brett can be really delicate and really subtle. It produces a lot of fruit characteristic. There's a lot of variety in the Brettanomyces uh, species. Oh, yeah, because
0: uh, Brettanomyces is the genus, and you have—I looked it up. There's a fuck ton of species.
1: There are in a, in a number of Brettanomyces mm-hmm. species.
0: And yeah, depending on which species you get in your mixed fermentation, or mm. wild, or spontaneous, mm-hmm. you can get very different flavors. Right.
1: The beer that we're drinking right now has Brettanomyces in it. Yeah, uh, and it is incredibly su- subtle. There's a little bit of funk character. Yeah,
0: when you really breathe in deep, like get your nose in the glass, and you really breathe it in, you f- you can get a little bit of that like damp hay again. Horse yeah. blanket. Damp hay is kind of because it's a little bit lighter than a, like horse blanket. Yeah, to me. I
1: wouldn't go so far as to say horse blanket, but damp
0: but... damp hay, damp alfalfa in particular. Yeah, like. Uh, sort
1: of basement musty, mm-hmm. um,
0: but then when you drink it, you don't get you don't get that kind of funk as much. Like we were talking about earlier when we were originally tasting it, it's like mm-hmm. you get that fruitiness,
1: a ton of fruitiness. Um, you do get some acidity, mm-hmm. uh, which I would anticipate is. Not only from the wine grapes, but also from a lactic acid fermentation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you get some tartness, but it's not bracing. It's not uh, incredibly acidic.
0: No, it's, it's not making like my salivary glands like hurt. No, it's, it's just
1: still drinkable. It is, and that's it's one thing that I don't really love about. That's one reason I don't really love the term sour beer, right? Because it it makes things really one sided. That would be like going to a bar and ordering a bitter beer. It's like well, there are a lot of I'm beer styles beers. that have yeah. bitterness. There are a lot of beer styles that have noted acidity, but mm-hmm. I think using the term sour beer makes wild and mixed culture beers it, it makes them sound less exciting.
0: Well and it reduces and it, makes, it reduces kind of the the term to a point where it it's just like this the is complexity. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. Um, it just it kinda made me think of there is at our at our brewery we have a uh, we have some people that come in asking for sours. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it is, it's becoming a style that's very popular with people that normally drink wine. Oh, like, sure. Like, they go in and have, like, a mixed fermentation that is pretty fruity and tart like that, and it's very... It's very
1: reminiscent of wine. It's
0: very... Like, this, this, if, honestly, if someone handed this to me, I would kind of figure this was a bottle of white wine that was maybe a day old.
1: Yeah, sparkling, which is, sparkling wine for sure. Which
0: does not make me, which isn't, like, a, like, a, a diss on the beer, but, like, it has right. that kind of... Reminiscent, so it's very accessible for a number of people mm-hmm. so especially with a, at a brewery you get people dragged there by friends who are beer drinkers and you're a wine drinker and so you ask for a sour right um we have a golden ale with raspberries in it. It is by cool. no means a sour at all. But because it's pretty tart, mm-hmm. people have called it a sour. And I'm like, sure. I'm like, yeah, I guess. Technically. It's, it's technically a sour beer, but it's not mixed fermentation. Right.
1: It's acidic. It's tart. It, But that the acidity is coming from the, the malic acid from the raspberries. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's
0: coming from the adjunct and not the actual brewing process. Right. right. Yeah. If anytime you hear anyone talking about an adjunct in a beer, it's something that was added. That
1: isn't malted barley hops yeast correct yeah so So an adjunct stout is a stout brewed with coffee or chocolate or or cocoa or 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 coconut or lactose or whatever whatever Mm -hmm. um you look at an oatmeal stout oatmeal is an adjunct in that in that case you look at hazy ipas They're often brewed with wheat and oats of uh, malted oats, unmalted oats, rolled oats, flaked oats, uh, wheat, uh, Mm -hmm. malted wheat, unmalted wheat. Those are all considered adjuncts in this case. Correct.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I feel like calling things sours is very like reductionist
1: absolutely yeah absolutely it doesn't
0: and it's just like it's a it's a as we we're kind of talking about and how i like to talk about science in this podcast mm-hmm. it's not fair to people to have to reduce knowledge to the point where it doesn't actually accurately describe what you're even talking about anymore right do you, do you need to sometimes make it less complex so people can understand yes but if you sure. dumb it down to the point where you're actually misrepresenting what it is then that's pointless mm-hmm. and so saying sour kind of is that
1: Sort of you thing. can describe the beer as you sour. can
0: describe it as sour. Yeah, these
1: wild ales or these mixed culture beers or these lambic beers are sour in mm-hmm. flavor, but it's not a it's not a beer style, right? You, it's a descriptor, certainly, certainly, but not a style. Yes, because there are so many beer styles that have noted acidity. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you were going into a bar and didn't really know how to described didn't really know what an IPA was and you really tried you tried this bitter beer that you really liked and you asked for a bitter beer you might get a stout
0: yeah you might Cause, get because that could be defined as ale. bitter as well because it's Certainly. roasty bitter it's coffee bitter it's chocolate bitter yeah but if you were looking for hot bitter that's a totally different
1: type of bitter right and there are so many different levels of acidity in beer
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: uh, we have another beer that doesn't have quite as much acidity. But yeah. But there's a note it's a mixed culture beer and there is some acidity in it but mm-hmm. not tons. Not tons. Mm-hmm. It's going
0: to be more it's going to be more on that like barnyard side, right?
1: Uh Where, likely. Oh,
0: okay, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to try this beer. It's but, tasty. Uh, yeah. So Brettanomyces is the main contributor to wild mixed ferment like mixed fermentation.
1: Yes? Um it is a contributing factor. Okay. Certainly.
0: So what about the bacteria? Cuz traditionally you would think bacteria getting into your beer would be A bad thing a bad thing because in many cases it is certainly. yes oh yes but yeah we automatically think a bacterial invasion I don't Mm. use the word infection because inoculation inoculation is perfect (laughs) yeah so you would think having like bacteria get into your beer is bad but there are some bacteria again in this context that are very desirable
1: sure like yeah lactobacillus is the primary bacteria that we're looking at uh, I I take that back and in in lambic brewing you're Actually, not entirely looking for lactobacillus because it ferments really quickly. Ah, uh, the, the most lambic beer gets its primary uh, lambic spontaneous f- fermentation. Uh, those beers get their primary lactic acid from pediococcus. Okay. But if you look at many other mixed culture beers, like uh, the next beer we're going to taste, it is a lactic acid bacteria, mm. uh, okay. lactobacillus, not pediococcus. Right. Okay. Pediococcus is also a lacto- lactic acid bacteria, but right, but uh, they're not related. It's Like, different, yeah. Completely different Mm -hmm. species. One's gram-negative, one's gram-positive, and at that point with bacteria, that means, like, you are way different from each other. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And lactobacillus is great because it's a gram-negative bacteria, Mm -hmm. and gram-negative bacteria are typically hop intolerant.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: So, Ah. as a brewer, Uh if you are fermenting beer with a mixed culture of yeast and bacteria, Uh and you know the bacteria that you are adding to your beer is... Lactic acid bacteria, lactobacillus specifically. Interesting. Then you can deliberately adjust the acidity level in your finished product by adding or reducing more hops.
0: Oh, so, so that's
1: cool. As a brewer utilizing mixed culture fermentation, like the next beer we're gonna taste mm-hmm. is brewed by a beer a brewery in Austin, Texas mm-hmm. called Chester King. They're one of my favorite breweries, and they okay. ferment all of their beer with a mixed culture of yeast and bacteria. Okay. A lot of the yeast that is in their culture or in the culture that they're using is Saccharomyces. Okay. It is brewer's yeast. Right. Uh, But in their mixed culture, they also have yeast and bacteria that they have isolated from their property. So there's That's yeast and bacteria, fun. it's so fun. There's yeast and bacteria everywhere we go.
0: That's a whole different level of ter- terroir. Terroir, um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's... So terroir basically originated from wine right. making and basically it was to describe the nuances that you actually get from location, like small micro-locational changes based on where your grapes were grown. Right. Um. And it started to come up in beer because you still get I mean, hops, obviously, are, like, very locational. Like, Southern Hemisphere hops, Yakima hops, like, Willamette hops. Like, there's obviously some, but now you're starting to see some terroir from, um, like, where the barley was grown. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Like, you
0: definitely get variations in barley flavor from that. Mm -hmm. But I also find that really fascinating, too, is you get very different... Especially milk mixed culture fermentation, you get very different uh, communities of fermentors depending on where you
1: are. Right, and wild yeast and wild bacteria exist. Everywhere, but the concentrations mm-hmm. are going to change depending on the location, depending on the season, depending on the time of day, yeah, depending on the temperature, spe- mm-hmm. especially depending on the temperature, probably
0: humidity as well, likely, yeah. yeah. Uh, I would, assu- I would assume.
1: I would too. I don't think there's a lot of research going into the humidity, uh, how f- humidity affects okay, um, huh. m- yeast and bacterial cultures. But okay. I am not. I, I, I that, 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 that's just <laughs> me saying. I don't really know. I don't I'm know. not sure. Yeah. It very well. Could I so. um, since we were
0: talking so much about this and we we're talking about yeah, the process, why don't we drink to, it? Because we, we are ready
1: to drink so, it. So Jester King, Austin, Texas, mixed culture. Um, before they even started production, they their brewer and their owner was they were walking around the property collecting twigs, sticks, leaves, bark, fruit, <laughs> flowers, <laughs> uh, and they were basically putting all of these all of this plant matter into small samples of wort. Small samples of unfermented beer. Oh, I beer. love that. And they put little airlocks on all these little vials and just let it go. They had 10, 15, 20, 30, hundreds of little jars of plant matter, rocks, whatever in, yeah. these, in these vials. And eventually. That's such like go- we-
0: weird, like witch brewing.
1: It is. <laughs> and this is the, the, beer, the brewing that I'm most intrigued by. Oh, that's um, fascinating. Obviously, they lost three quarters of them to mold. I, sure. would uh, yeah, I would speculate. But the ones figure. that didn't go moldy and the ones that actually fermented were fermented with wild yeast and bacteria. So through sensory, they would smell and, if they were brave enough, taste these samples. Uh-huh. The ones that had desirable sensory characteristics were then plated. So they okay. would isolate this yeast and bacteria. They would take a small Petri dish.
0: With auger, with... I'm assuming. So auger is like a super sugary, super protein heavy. It smells mm-hmm. like weird ch- sugary chicken
1: broth. And there are different... Broths, oh yes. Different augers you can use. You can have uh, broths that specifically target lactobacillus. Right. Broths that specifically target yeast. Mm-hmm. Broths that you can use to specifically target brewers yeast. Yeah. So they plated up a bunch of different samples, and through plating and through isolation, isolated indigenous yeast and bacteria. Yeah. So that's what they use to ferment their own beers. That's amazing. So all their beers are fermented partially with yeast and bacteria that was isolated from their property. I love so that. Their beers are a direct result, and, and obviously they're not the only brewery doing this. There are a lot of farmhouse style breweries that are doing this. They're making beers that are a direct result of the ingredients, the people, the time, and the place. Mm-hmm. And that is what's most fascinating to me I about just... these I just love that
0: it about like really good breweries out there that love the science of what they're doing. It's just such a, it's just such a mixed effort of everybody involved. Yeah. And uh, you get, you get so much character in the product because of the individuals, the location, that the care that has gone into these various right. things.
1: Well, cheers awesome. cheers yay oh yeah so completely different character totally than the good. last one uh both still uh i guess wildish or mm-hmm.
0: uh once you've once you've been drinking beer for a while you get like a sense of like oh yeah this is wild like you just it's like yeah it's sure. it's hard to say because the characteristics are very so differently again depending on like what your mixed fermentation contains but you can smell a beer and be like ah yes this is not your traditional sure because it
1: has funk you can you can tell that there's acidity a noted acidity in this beer Mm -hmm. Um, it's a very
0: different acidity though that was like that was like um like green grape acidity
1: this comes across like lemon peel that's one me. of the things that I love about Jester King's culture. So every, when you start drinking mixed culture beers, specifically start drinking a lot of mixed culture beers from specific breweries, mm-hmm. you start to get to know their culture. You do. Jester King's mixed culture is very different than Russian River's mixed culture. Mm-hmm. It's also very different than Allagash's mixed culture. Yes. It's very different than any other brewery's culture, unless you're buying mixed cultures from, from online. Any, any yes. brewery that is doing yeast and bacterial isolation, is going to taste different than the next one. You know
0: what's really funny? I said this years ago about Boneyard. Like, I I went up to... Boneyard's a great brewery up in Bend, Oregon. They mostly specialize, again, in like West Coast-style hoppy beers. But I remember going up there, and then Sierra Nevada did a collaboration with them, and I'm like, oh, they used Boneyard's yeast. And people were like, you can't fucking taste that. And I'm like, bullshit you can. You can taste the strain of yeast that someone uses in particular. Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. And Jester King's Mixed Culture is one of my favorites because, one... They're a true farmhouse brewery. So they are using raw well water. They're Mm -hmm. not filtering their water. They are pre-boiling it to precipitate out bicarbonate. And then they are using the water that came from underneath their brewery. And it's really mineral rich. And that Mm -hmm. translates into their beers. They have this like... Like San Pellegrino mineral character, Mm. and their yeast culture really brings that out too.
0: Yes, Uh, yeah, Uh, I'm getting that for sure. There's like that metallic
1: tang to it. Yeah, and not not like metal, like chewing on foil, but it does have this like Like fresh ground mineral. Yeah,
0: if you've ever had been so lucky to have like fresh spring water, like that kind of like that kind of like like. A pe- like, again, this sounds bad when I say these sleepers out loud, but like that coppery tang you get on your tongue a little yeah. bit, like, oh, like, mm-hmm. it's just very refreshing. Um, I'm also getting, at the very end, I'm getting, like, this, like, roasted corn
1: mm-hmm.
0: kind of feel to it. Like, and that's a- coming
1: from the grain bill, mm-hmm. but I absolutely oh, so get that. Their culture provides this really cool sort of, um, like, lemon head or, like, mm-hmm. lemon sweet tart or, um, like, yeah. lemon That's why lemon I said lemon candy. peel, like
0: lemon peel, like a candied lemon peel. Mm-hmm. like. God, that's good.
1: So the beer we're drinking is called Lagered farmhouse beer, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting because most farmhouse beers are fermented at a slightly warmer temperature. Right. Because they are reminiscent of Belgian Saison, which is...
0: And we, when you use the term lager, it's specifically referring to that specific brewing process, right? Where it's right. Like at so a lower temperature?
1: Right. Sorry, yeah. I I guess that's a little that can that can tend to be a little bit confusing because lager is not only a species of yeast, it's also a process. Right. <laughs> so, lager beer is fermented with lager yeast. Mm-hmm. But you can lagered beer, is, lager basically means to store. It's a okay. German word that translates into to store. Hmm. So, lagered beer is stored at a cold temperature for an extended period of time okay. because that is going to allow a lot of solid matter to fall out of solution and okay. it's going to allow the flavors to really mellow and really develop over time so gotcha. you get a clearer more delicate mm-hmm. beer at the end of the process. The um, term
0: I always use when I'm selling like pilsners and lagers to people I'm like the term I use is bright. Yeah like just like like it like almost evaporates off your tongue.
1: Mm-hmm. So, this beer is lagered, which mm-hmm. allows the f- flavors to really mellow. Mm-hmm. So, it's 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 really delicate. It's really it light. It's easy to drink, but there's a lot of complexity. And yeah. that's what I love about mixed culture beer. One of the things. I've said that so many times. That's what I love about mixed culture beers. Like,
0: that's great. That's why we're talking about it. My though. favorite thing about mixed culture beers. I've
1: said that about everything we've talked about. Top
0: ten favorite things about mixed culture
1: fermentation. Oh, how much time we've got. Uh, we, we're no. There's no way we could fit that all into a two hour, two hour podcast. Don't, yeah. The complexity you get out of a mixed culture is extraordinary. And using really simple ingredients. Using that's actually they say Texas Hill Country well water malted barley. Texas-grown Jimmy Red corn, hops, mixed corn. culture of yeast, and bacteria.
0: Nice. I love that it has corn in it.
1: And that corn character does come, come through. through. It almost comes, like, comes through like, like toasted cornbread.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was thinking, I was like, you know when you, like, originally when I was trying it, I was like, you know when you pop a bag of popcorn a little bit too long,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's not bad, like you're not mad at it, but you're like, this isn't what I expected, but I'm like, also kind of enjoying how toasted this corn is. hmm no we used to do um an elote pizza and so like that roastedness Ooh. of like we would run the corn through the oven a couple times before we put so got really roasted and sure. we would we would like go in there and just like eat it yeah and absolutely. like just roasted corn kernel like
1: mm, mm like so my good good reaction oh, oh, I love yep it.
0: yep. Yeah, no, this is like, this is very different from any other Jester King I've ever had, too, because it, probably because it is lagered, it's really mellow. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you're right, there's a lot of complexity and there's a lot of flavor, but usually I want to drink a Jester King last in the evening, because it is going to be, there's going, there's going to be a lot to it mm-hmm. in a very good way. This is like... Very, very,
1: very calm, delicate, subtle, Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of their beers, especially in recent years, have Mm. have started to become a little bit more delicate. They have uh, a lot of just standard farmhouse beers that they ferment in stainless steel tanks. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of their smaller format bottles are re-fermented in oak and re-fermented with fruit, and they're often way higher in acidity, way bolder, way more flavorful, way bigger.
0: So, I'm sorry, I actually have a question about re-fermenting with fruit. Mm -hmm. And, like, do uh, breweries like this that re-ferment with fruit that are looking kind of for, like, a mixed fermentation type beer, do they kind of rely on the wilds like, yeast and bacteria you'd get
1: on the fruit skin? Um, In part. Okay. Certainly. Mm -hmm. Uh, The wild fermented beers are almost always a mixed culture of yeast and bacteria beforehand. Okay. So the additional macerated fruit or additional whole fruit will restart or re-spark I see or reinvigorate the, the sh- yeast that's the sh- already in solution
0: gotcha the sugars that are in the fruit are more important than necessarily like any definitely okay uh, oh and the... that makes that makes sense now what you told me about like Britinomyces and everything like
1: oh it's s- ooh, sacchar- food
0: yeah and, and it's like know, food okay cool I don't care what food town. it is let's yeah. go yeah It'll keep okay. going
1: away there are stories of lambic brewers that have re-fermented on whole cherries when they empty the barrel there's nothing but pits <laughs> they empty the whole barrel. They threw crazy. full cherries into there. And after the refermentation, they're pulling out nothing but pit.
0: I like the idea of like a horror film about like a wild brontosaurus that just eats everything. Yeah, like, instead
1: of like Jeffrey Dahmer putting his his <laughs> subjects in bottles of caustic, it's just brewers putting, putting whole people, peaches into in buckets of bread. Also,
0: uh, I have to say, <laughs> Becca calls me Jeffrey Dahmer all the time, so it's very funny that Jeffrey Dahmer has come up again on the podcast. Apparently, that's,
1: that's hilarious. I don't I don't I don't know anything about Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't know if he used he
0: boiled stuff. He uh, occasionally used caustic, but he found very quickly. I know way too much about Jeffrey Dahmer too. He found he found very quickly that it uh, decayed the bones to a point where he couldn't keep them because he wanted to keep the boys with him. So he wanted he just wanted wanted their skulls and stuff. He also tried baking a skull once, and it fucking like he pulled it out and just like like crumbled away. He did too much dry hit quickly. What? <laughs> um, so that's that's interesting about the re-fermentation. Yeah. Like yeah, and also um, why are so many of these beers? Because this is always the thing that's very frustrating to me. And mm-hmm. I get the fruit part of it, mm-hmm. um, but my food allergies.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so I'm allergic to stone fruit, and so right. a lot of these obviously peaches, cherries, especially they lend
1: themselves really, really well. well
0: to this kind of fermentation because they are so full of sugar. Yeah. Like um, I have to avoid a lot of fruit juices because they use peach juice as a sweetener. Right. I have to always turn the label around and be like, nope, this...
1: is an apple, peach, or pear. Right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Which yeah. one of these is a sweetener? Um, why barrels?
1: Oak barrels have been used for storage. Mm-hmm. Uh, historically, it was used as storage. There was mm-hmm. no such thing as a stainless steel pot. Of course not. There were copper brewing vessels. Mm-hmm. And even before copper, mash vessels were made out of oak. Okay. Uh, Oak was historically a storage vessel, a vessel for uh, brewers and wineries. And, I mean, oak barrels were used to ship grain and were used to ship preserved meats and preserved vegetables. Oak barrels were a storage vessel.
0: Mm -hmm. Because oak is actually a fairly easy wood to work with and make... Barrels out of. A fairly easy
1: wood to work with. Um, But it's also very hard, very dense, and um, it's very good at keeping liquid. It absorbs liquid and swells enough to create a seal. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are other woods that are used. A lot of Japanese sake manufacturers will use will use cedar. Oh, Japanese interesting. cedar okay. for storage.
0: Oh, that's that seems very porous.
1: Yeah, and will yeah. produce a lot of a lot. oak is fairly neutral. Oh, that's yep, yeah. Okay, that a lot makes of, sense. And oak also has a lot of desirable flavors.
0: Right. And there's also oaks kind of like all over the world it's everywhere yeah especially in the areas where fermentation became a thing along that mediterranean like or
1: above above the 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 grape grain line correct there's a there's essentially a line that you can draw between on this like around the 30th -hmm. parallel maybe right um anything below it wine grapes were grown Anything above it, grain was grown. Right. Everything below the grain grape line, line was wine. Everything above the grain grape wine was beer. Beer. That's why you don't see... That's why England and Ireland and Germany aren't, aren't known necessarily for their wine. Really <laughs> known for their wine. And that's why yeah. Italy and Greece aren't really known for, for their, their beer. beer. I mean, there's great, oh, yeah. great wine grown in the Alsace region of France above the line. There's a. I was going to say,
0: Germany has some, like, styles. The I... Rhineland
1: in Germany, there's, mm-hmm. they're, like...
0: Gewurztraminers and Rieslings are like some Riesling of my Riesling is gorgeous. Yeah. Dude, a dry Gewurz like sometimes when you get a good Gewurztraminer that's been uh, made correctly, it fucking tastes almost IPA-ish because the hops really impart like a weird, uh, I'm sorry, the grapes almost impart mm. a weird hoppiness to it. Interesting. I, a dry Gewurz. anytime I see a dry Gewurz on the menu, and I don't drink wine that often, but I'm like, a dry Gewurz. I'm going to go for I'll it. I'll take it. I'll
1: take it. I'll take it.
0: Yeah. So just, so barrels as storage.
1: Right. Um. Oak also produces a lot of flavor. If mm-hmm. you, you know, Even you, despite
0: them being pretty neutral, they still depart. They still impart flavor.
1: Desirable flavors. Yes,
0: desirable flavors. Um,
1: if you've ever been to an old library or an old thrift mm. store and opened up an old book and wondered why it smelled so good, mm-hmm. because over time there's a compound in the sealant that they used in old books that I believe contains enzymes that converts some of the compounds in the paper to vanillin, which is an artificial... <sighs> Vanilla flavor. Right, yeah. So like old books smell good because they're, there's literally... They've been converted into vanilla. vanilla fake flavor. vanilla, yeah. Um, oak contains a lot of vanillin. There oh. are a lot of lactones in oak that taste like coconut. Mm. There are a lot of compounds in oak that taste like spices or mm. different herbs. Mm-hmm. So, oak can impart a lot of really desirable characteristics to beer. Um, it can provide a softness in beer. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's just easy to access right. storage, great for flavor, and it's also traditional. Um, yes. You could you could ferment lambic in stainless steel, but it wouldn't be it, mm-hmm. it wouldn't really work. Mm -hmm. Because oak is also porous enough that wild yeast and bacteria will inoculate the oak. Mm. So you could put unfermented wort into an inoculated oak barrel. It's going to turn into beer. Okay. Because the... There's you, enough. Wild yeast and bacteri- bacteria will gain residency in that barrel. Gotcha. Right.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: I guess Ooh. that k- technically could happen with any wood, but... Yeah. Oak is just... Oak is... Oak is uh, just the... White oak. American, Hungarian, and French white oak are the three primary oak regions. Okay. Um, American huh. oak tends to have more vanilla and right. coconut character. That's Which- why you... you, you, you get an, You get a bourbon. Right. It's... Whiskey is clear off the still. You yeah. Put bur- you put clear white dog into a medium charred American oak barrel. It's going to come out copper in color and taste like vanilla and coconut. Right. That's all the oak.
0: Okay. 100%. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Bourbon yeah. is made in oak. Entirely. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. that's very cool okay yeah because it's just like i i I see these i'm like obviously you put it in another container to Mm re-ferment but it's just like why oak and that makes a lot of sense because you get a lot of
1: again you get yeast storage Mm -hmm. you get
0: culture storage and then you also get flavors off of it that
1: are usually
0: pretty desirable Mm -hmm. interesting
1: and these days most lambic brewers don't even re-ferment in oak Mm. so they'll do their primary spontaneous fermentation so we were talking about cool ships a little bit ago. Right. So they'll inoculate wort in a cool ship overnight. The next morning, once the wort is cooled down to fermentation temperature, they'll then pump that wort into oak barrels mm-hmm. and let it sit. Okay. That wort will ferment over the course of the next one, two, three years of time. Mm-hmm. And then that brewery will select barrels, pump it into a stainless steel tank, and then put a bunch of fruit into that tank. Okay. And allow that refermentation to occur in stainless steel. Interesting. And okay. And then package from there okay more often than not gotcha okay because cleaning cherry pits out of oak barrels fuck that fuck that <laughs> yeah big old fuck that it's way easier to flip the oak barrel upside down rinse it out steam it and refill it
0: refill it yeah um there was one t- style in particular because uh it actually came up at thanksgiving and it's a style of uh mixed fermentation that mm-hmm. i'm very much into and it's the goose
1: goose is
0: um, so, I j- just as like kind of a capper because there's so many styles we can talk about, and we've talked about what we talked about, right? But that one in particular is really fascinating to me because of it's gorgeous, g- it's a beautiful beer and it always turns out great. But the way a goose is put together to me, I'm like, mm-hmm. why did where did this idea come from?
1: So it came primarily out of necessity, okay? So goose is a blend of one, two, and three year old lambic, lambic is an appellation kind of like champagne, okay white sparkling wine is made everywhere in the world but nowhere in the world is it champagne except for produced in the in champagne, champagne region in france spontaneously fermented beer using 60 percent malted barley 40 percent unmalted wheat okay a turbid mash okay which is a mashing profile uh-huh. a, Uh way to extract a lot of unfermentable sugars mm. and really a lot of it's a it's a, a you set
0: you're setting the stage up for brett by getting a, a bunch of unferm- right
1: unfermentable quote-unquote sugars extracting a lot of starch from yeah the grain okay extended boil aged hops spontaneous fermentation fermentation in oak barrel Okay. That is. Those are basically the rules that you need to follow in order to make Lambic beer, but it has to be in the Seine Valley of Belgium. Belgium.
0: So uh, the other thing, too, is most people, uh, one thing that I learned pretty early on in my beer career, people think Lambic means like a fruited sour, and that's not true at not all. Entirely, not Not even close. Those are the, that's the definition of what a Lambic is. Mm-hmm. Do a lot of Lambics have fruit in them? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But that's, uh, fruit does not a Lambic make. No. Th- those are the specific parameters of being a
1: Lambic. Right. Um, It has to be in the Seine Valley. Okay. So there are a lot of breweries that are making Lambic style beers. Ah. Like Jester King. Mm -hmm. They, Jeffrey Stuffings, their head brewer and owner, or not head brewer, owner, developed this appellation called uh, Method Traditionnel. Kind of like Method Champenoise. Okay. For champagne. Mm -hmm. Wineries all over the world can make Sparkling white wine, Method Champenoise, and have it be equally as complex as Champagne made in France, but it can't be called Champagne Correct. because it's not made there. Right, Method traditionnel is the same way. Ah. Method traditionnel beers are following all of the parameters to be a traditional Lambic, but they're made outside of the Seine Valley, Okay, so they're not Lambic. Right, Goose is a blend of... Three years of lambic mm-hmm. as lambic ages Britannomyces becomes a little bit more active Britannomyces
0: mm. that's that's kind of the most opposite. Active. that's kind of the opposite of what I would think I would think it'd be really active early on oh no wow. it's
1: slow slow it's it's, oh. a, it's a crock pot uh, <laughs> Britannomyces <laughs> takes a long time it is it starts becoming active between six and eight months into fermentation okay of lambic so okay. initially if you look at the if you look at the Profile of lambic fermentation. It's initially uh, lactic acid fermentation, so you get a drop in pH right away. Gotcha. And then you have your standard brewer's yeast. You have wild Saccharomyces producing most of the alcoholic fermentation. Okay. And then you have some Pediococcus producing lactic acid and a lot of diacetyl. Mm-hmm. And okay. And then you have. Which mm. diacetyl
0: is basically when you get buttery flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, like the butteriness of Chardonnay comes from diacetyl. Right. Yeah, I always call it bad butter because I don't like... It's an I,
1: incomplete I, fermentation. Yeah, I'm not is. a huge
0: fan. Like, I don't like Chardonnays. I love white wine, but I like do not like Chardonnays because I'm just like, I
1: just, turns out, I just really don't like diacetyl. <laughs> totally fair. But anyways, um, continue, sorry. Pediococcus will produce a lot of diacetyl and then britanamyces starts becoming active, mm. And Britanomyces will consume any residual sugars that the yeast was un- uh, the brewer's yeast was unable to ferment. Okay. So brewer's yeast will ferment glucose, sucrose, maltose, mm-hmm. maltotriose to a certain extent, mm. but any longer chain sugars are unfermentable by okay. standard brewer's yeast and that's when Brett comes in. Okay. And Brett will produce or Brett will can start consuming all those sugars and it takes a really long time. Gotcha. So the longer you let Brett sit, the l- more mature, more funky more weird more deep (laughs) that beer's flavor is going to be okay so there's a blend of young medium and old Mm -hmm. for you're looking for the brightness and acidity and you still want fermentable sugars Mm -hmm. so that's why you blend a young with an old so you you blend the old one for the complexity the depth of flavor the medium one just to have a middle ground and the young one so you have. you, you still have res- residual sugars for re-fermentation in the bottle. Gotcha. Because if you just bottle a three-year-old Lambic, it's going to be still. It's yeah. It's going to be like wine. Wine, but yeah. But you want it to be sparkly Yeah, and dry. Yeah, because
0: that's what the, like part of the thing with beer. It's like you want some sort of like yeah. fizz to it, whether it's carbonation. Especially
1: goose. Yeah. Goose is super dry, really high carbonation. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Like, oh yeah, when I opened that bottle, I was like opening it. I started opening it and I was like, I'm gonna do this over a sink. Yeah. Like it's one of those things you get you when you open a goose, you go to a sink and you have a glass nearby so you don't waste it, but also so you don't get it all over your goddamn counter.
1: Right. Or carpet (laughs) or whatever.
0: Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Three years. Three years. Gorgeous. Awesome. Well, we're like near the end.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was wanna... super
0: fun. I learned so much. Do
1: you want to pop one more before the end?
0: Oh, uh sure. Yeah, so we're getting near the end, but we have one more beer we have to we have to drink. Not yeah. have to, but happy to. Happy to. So, so this tell is me about a
1: beer it. that I'm I'm pretty proud of. This is a beer that I made. Um and I followed a pretty traditional saison recipe. Okay. It's malted barley mm-hmm. and unmalted wheat. Mm-hmm. Um but the thing I love about this beer is the Fermentation characteristic. Mm-hmm. I, Stevie, was there for this. Yes. We, one day at this bar that I worked at, uh, the, that the bar, the bar I, we met at, yeah. Yeah. Um, I brought in about 10 different fairly fresh Jester King beers. Mm-hmm. Because Jester King is bottled and re fermented with their mixed culture. There's wild yeast and bacteria in every single one of their beers. Mm-hmm. So you open,
0: you get to the bottom of the bottle. I always call it the snack, which grosses people out. Yeah. But I love that last pour because you get like that. Nice, yummy, yeasty. Right, characteristic. The little dregs
1: at the bottom yeah. of the bottle. I harvested all of the dregs out of all the bottles. Propagated that yeast and bacteria. The thing that
0: cracked me up too was you brought an Erlenmeyer flask that, into the uh, bar. An and
1: autoclaved. You, yes,
0: Erlenmeyer an flask. auto. Uh, yes, you were very <laughs> well, serious. it wasn't.
1: It was an auto. It was an autoclaved uh, lab grade flask. Yes. Yep.
0: Yeah. 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 So you brought it in. So you knew absolutely. You're like. We are only getting the dregs out of this. And it was like, it also, it was a great experience because it's just like we all got to really enjoy and share all these Jester Kings and talk about it and have a discussion around it. Again, mm-hmm. very similar to what we were talking about, how Jester King brews anyways. Like it's right. just like very community focused and it was a very community focused thing and yep. you got a very useful product out of it.
1: Absolutely. So, harvested all the yeast and bacteria and then propagated it uh, and used that culture to ferment the the beer that I brewed. I love the it. the that I brewed. Um, I'm pretty happy about how it came out. So, the next time I brew this beer, I will increase my hopping rate to reduce the acidity. Mm-hmm. But... uh yeah, I'm pretty happy about how it came out. The it carb the carb is lovely. great. The head retention is wonderful. The yeah. color is awesome. Um, yeah,
0: it's like perfectly gold. It's
1: light. It's bright. It's acidic. Ooh, uh, the nose on that's nice. I get a lot of pineapple mm. and lemon.
0: You're right. It is tart. It has, um. sometimes with these these more uh, tart, soury type beers, you get uh, what I call like the spinach teeth coat. Yeah. Where you get like a little bit of that like, which is not, again, mm-hmm. not a bad compliment, but uh, comment at all. But just, like, it's really nice and tart. That's really beautiful. Cool. Oh, thank you. That's really, really great. It's just, like, it's, like, uh, unsweetened lemonade. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah I pineapple. A lot
1: of lemon. And then. A lot of, a lot of that, like, sort of tart lemon acidity.
0: Yeah, and at the end you get that real, like, lactic acid-y, mm-hmm. like, uh, sticky, uh, like, yogurt-ishness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like oh it's really really good. Well this was so fun because it's just like I got to learn a lot. Yeah. Yeah uh, which is like I said fun for me that we did it like this because I get to have someone who's an expert right. teaching me stuff which is super fun and then we get to drink one of your beers that's yeah, like totally. Associated I haven't with opened topic. one
1: in a while. It's still tasting still drinking pretty good. It still drinks really good. This is very 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 excellent. Well thank you.
0: Yeah thank you for having me. Well, Cheers. So great. On. Yeah. Appreciate it. Do you have anything that you would like to plug or?
1: mention um, not really
0: so and Andrew is in Chico and mm-hmm. is having a great time here yeah. Uh, yeah
1: if you're ever in Chico let me know yeah or let Stevie know let me know and, and I'll, I'll gatekeep. Uh, if
0: you're cool then yeah, you get to contact right. Andrew
1: <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll show you around the brewery
0: yeah yeah it'd be dope and uh, as always you can find me at BuzzBiology biology on Instagram mm-hmm. um, Stevie Fox at C Roxel everywhere else uh I now have a coffee website, which I always try to pronounce Ko-Fi, but it's fi dot com slash Stevie Basically it's it's a whole like website that's for creatives. Um and the whole premise is like uh if you really like what someone does, just buy them a coffee. Like oh cool. Just throw three bucks their way. Mm-hmm. Um I'm trying to save up to have a good microphone so I can stop recording off my phone and start recording on my computer. Sure. Um and just have better audio. You probably came through great, but a lot of my friends are fucking muttering idiots. Mm. They're not idiots, well. but they're mutterers. And it's very hard to pick them up. But so go to my coffee, and then I'm, coffee, sorry, saying it wrong. And then um, I'm working on building a website because I've started doing too much research, and now my sources do not fit in my episode descriptions. Ah. So I have to have, that's part of the whole thing of this, is I have to have my sources out for, mm-hmm. like, consumption. So, right. working on that. So keep an eye out for that. Our tagline that we've decided is, uh, drink and know things responsibly. <laughs> <laughs> Becca and I have decided we're taking, well, Beck and I are in argument about Game of Thrones, but I was like, I'm taking it back from Game of Thrones. They yeah. don't deserve to have that say.
1: Fair enough. So,
0: yeah, drink and know things responsibly. Enjoy your libations, but get home safe. Absolutely. And we will see you next week with another fun biology topic.
1: Yeah, well, Bye, cheers. guys.
0: Cheers.